Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. How are you guys doing today? Good. Awesome. There is a thin line between love and hate. Now, I know most of you have heard that saying before, but if you've ever had a love relationship, love-hate relationship with someone or something, you know that it's true, right? There is a very thin line between love and hate. And, and, and today, I'm just in the confessing mood. Uh, I, I need to let you know that my emotions are volatile when it comes to a particular company. And a lot of you are going to agree with me on this. There's this love-hate thing going on between me and uh, Ikea, all right? Um, there are many things to love about Ikea, okay? And, and I'm with you on that, right? They have a wide selection uh, of, of, of products and furniture, and, and it's just a great store environment, right? It feels like you're at an amusement park and um, as you're going through all these different uh, exhibitions or whatever you want to call them. But I mainly like them because of their prices, right? I'm a frugal shopper, so it's very affordable furniture. Uh, but, but what I dislike about them is, is this booklet right here. <laughs> I hate the fact, hate's a strong word, but I hate the fact that I have to build practically every single piece of furniture that I buy from them. It, it, it's, it could be a dresser for your clothes or this huge entertainment center, and it comes in a box like this big. It, it doesn't make sense to me, and so... The problem is that I'm not a handyman, and, and I, so I'm the last person that you want working on any house project in your house. Um, so I'm working through it, and then I end up with extra screws after I'm done with my assembly project. The, the, uh, there's parts of the furniture that are backwards, so you see the particle board and not the laminate, and you got to rebuild the whole thing. It's all a mess. It's a, it's a tension, right? Prices, oh, but I got to build this thing. But what I learned recently is that the benefit that I love and enjoy the most about Ikea, its low prices, is a direct result of what I absolutely dislike about them. I first read about the Ikea story in a leadership book, and and then recently Wall Street Journal published an article about this very point. What allows Ikea to set their prices way below market rate is a crucial step that they skip in the manufacturing process, and that simply is assembly right? Rather than fully assembling the dressers and the entertainment centers, which increases labor costs and also increases their delivery shipping costs, because now you have this piece of furniture that's fully built, rather than doing that, they've opted to put their furniture in small boxes and not assemble them. They are unassembled in small boxes. And when you take all those considerations together, the savings in the labor costs, the savings in the delivery costs, it impacts and determines the price, which then impacts 
my wallet in a good way. I get to save more of my money. And, and then in turn, it impacts their bottom line because they have created this, this uh, craze, right, of more and more people wanting a value, a bargain. And you can't beat their prices. You just can't beat their prices. But here's the catch. It comes with this thing in every single box. That's the catch. So as we continue with the This Is Our God series, which for the past six weeks we have looked at a different psalm and what it speaks to us about God and how we relate to him, our psalm for today is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It is longer than some of the books, 176 verses total. So good thing that we didn't have Kristen read all those verses because it would have taken up the full half hour. And the entire psalm... The entire chapter is focused on the word or the law of God. Out of the 176 verses, only a handful do not mention God's word. So the picture that we get from Psalm 119 is of a psalmist that is enamored with the word of God. He loves and highly values the Bible. And just as we discussed with our Ikea story, of course, right, there's a lot to love about God and his word. Even more so, right? But unlike our Ikea story, I don't think most of us would say that we have a love-hate relationship with God and the Bible. For starters, the word hate is just too strong for us. But if we were to listen in on what the psalmist has to say, and if we were to receive counsel from him, I think he would tell us that we are in danger of something more severe and destructive. I think if we were to listen to the heartbeat of the psalmist in Psalm 119, he would tell us and warn us of something more severe and more destructive. And you may say, what is more severe and destructive than hate? He would say, it's indifference. It's indifference. He would warn us about the subtle dangers of indifference. Indifference is a deceptive killer for relationships. Listen, I can be indifferent about golf or hockey, and I am. Very indifferent. I can be indifferent about the newest model iPhone or Tesla, but I can't be indifferent with my most intimate relationships. I can't be indifferent with my most intimate relationships. Let me give you an example. We tend to look at couples that are constantly arguing and then making up, or they're they're always fighting, but somehow, some way, they reconcile. We tend to look at those couples who argue and fight a lot, and then they make up. We say, man, they're just one argument away from completely separating, right? And while that might be true, I don't completely agree with the reasoning because arguments or difficult times do not necessarily mean that a relationship is doomed to end, especially especially when there's love and passion still there. But let me tell you something. You show me a wife or a husband that is indifferent, you show me a wife or a husband that has checked out and doesn't care anymore, hey, they might still be together. They might live under a house where they never argue, but I will show you a couple that has already separated. I will show you a couple and a relationship that should be intimate but has completely ended and dried out because of indifference, because of indifference. And guess what? God feels the same way about indifference. We see in Revelation 3, That God himself wishes that people were either hot or cold. He wishes people were either hot or cold. He says, love me or reject me. Love me or reject me, but don't be lukewarm towards me. 
God can't tolerate it so much that he gives this imagery of spitting the person out. He can't stomach it. Because of indifference. So I may be able to complain about Ikea and their packaging. And I might be able to chuck the little instruction book that comes with it and live with the consequences of having to look at particle board every time I watch TV. I feel strongly about that because it's happened several times. (laughs) But guess what? I'm not able to live the life that God has made possible for me to live and desires for me to live. And I'm not able to have an intimate relationship with my creator if I ignore this book or if I neglect this book. It's not possible. So the psalmist, in this passionate poem, he gives us three reasons why he loves the word of God so much and why he can't allow himself to be indifferent. And each reason is tied to the other. So he's, what he's basically doing, he's, he's hinting at a mystery of the word of God. He's saying there's a mystery here. And he says when we understand this mystery, the word of God takes a different and important position in our life. And when the word of God is in that important and crucial position in our lives, it has a ripple effect in our lives and it transforms us completely. So that's what we're going to look at today. They're all connected. So we're going to start first. The psalmist is going to tell us why he is in love with the word of God. And it's because of what, what Tim Keller calls the secret of the word. The secret of the word. Let's take a look at Verses 14 and 16 again. In verse 14, he says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight. We see that word again. In your statutes, I will not forget your word. Now, verses 24 and 48. Let's look at those. I know we didn't read them today, but I think they they paint a clear picture of what the psalmist is after. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. I find great joy in it, he's saying. They are my counselors. That's interesting. He's now personifying the word and saying they are my counselors. They speak to me. Verse 48, though, he goes even way farther down. He says, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. As you read Psalm 119 and you run into these verses, and and there are many more like them, you get the sense that the psalmist's admiration for the scripture is a little bit over the top. And it seems a little bit inappropriate. Because, you see, he's saying, your word is my counselors, okay? We could could work with that. But then verse 48 is is the one that gets me. I lift up my hands toward your commandments. He is worshiping the scriptures. And if this is just a book, what, 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 what basically he is doing, he is idolizing. He's making an idol out of a book. That's a big no-no, right? But maybe, just maybe, the psalmist foresees and has an understanding of something that we now have the privilege to look back on and get a better grasp of. And that is the fact that Jesus is the word of God. That Jesus is the word. We read in John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Now that makes more sense now, right? Why the psalmist is delighting and lifting up his hands to the word. 
Because Jesus is our delight. Because Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Because Jesus is worthy for us to lift up our hands in worship because he is our God that saves us. That makes more sense. So the secret of the word of God is that it's Jesus. It's Jesus that all scripture speaks of and points to him. That the word that was made text is also the word that was made flesh in Jesus Christ. So the Bible is not just a book that tells a story and has great wisdom. It's much more than that. It's an extension of who God is. And, and we understand this principle when we apply it to us because we understand that our words are also an extension of us. Right? It, if I write my wife a love letter, and I'm surprised she hasn't said, but you don't, because I don't. Um, but if I did, and in response she tells me that um, she loves and cherishes my words, I don't take offense to that, right? If she says, oh, I loved your words, I, I don't take offense to that. I, don't, I wouldn't say, why do you cherish my words and not me? No, that, that wouldn't make any sense. Because I will take it to mean that she is honoring and cherishing me. But what if I write her the love letter and get no response back? What am I to think? Or what if I write her the letter and she never takes the time to open and read it? What am I to do? This is a serious question. What am I to do with her indifference towards my letter? How would that make me feel? How would that make you feel if you were in that position? And in the very same way, our attitude towards the word of God is very telling of our relationship and view of him. It's very telling. Which leads to our second point. First, we talked about the secret, which is Jesus. Now we will look at the centrality of the word. Because of what we just unpacked, the psalmist is unable to be indifferent to the word of God because he is convinced that it is to be the center of his life. Because Jesus is the secret of the word, he is convinced that the word of God should be the center of his life. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. But not only is, it the, the, not only is the psalmist spending a significant amount of time speaking highly of the word of God, He's doing it with quite a bit of flair and creativity, right? He's, he's, he's showing off a little bit. He, check out what he does. Every eight verses in this psalm is a stanza. And there are 22 stanzas, one for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So each verse in a stanza begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet and on and on it goes. So if you will imagine writing a poem about the Bible... And every eight verses beginning with the same letter. So the first eight verses all beginning with A, and the next eight verses all beginning with B and C, and on and on it goes. My question is, what do you do when you get to X, right? I don't, I don't know if the Hebrew alphabet has a letter like X, but it would be a challenge. But yet, he, he plows through it, and he, and he does it. This, this structure of a poem is what they call an acrostic. Acrostics were most likely used as a memory device, to aid and to help us with recitation, with memorizing and reciting. But more importantly, check this out. The idea behind structuring a poem in this way was in order to summarize all that could be said or all that needed to be said about a particular subject from Aleph to Tav, which is basically the Hebrew 
A to Z. You structure a poem in this way in order to summarize all that needs to be said or all that could be said about a particular subject. So hear what a commentator writes about another psalm that has this particular structure. She writes, The poet praises God with everything from A to Z. His praise is all-inclusive. More than that, the entire alphabet, the source of all words, is marshaled praise of God. One cannot actually use all of the words in a language, but by using the alphabet, one uses all potential words. I love that because what, what she is saying that from the structure alone, the psalmist is making the case that God's word is deserving of all that we are. It is deserving of all of our words. It is deserving of all of our attention and admiration. From the structure alone, she's, uh, the psalmist is communicating that to us. But then we get into the content and we get into the message, verses like 10 and 15. Verse 10, he says, with my whole heart, with my whole heart, I seek you. Verse 15, I will meditate, meaning I will think through, I will, I will think about and run it through my mind. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So he's saying, I'm going to seek you with, my, my, with all my heart. I'm going to meditate and think about your word throughout my day. And I'm going to focus on what you want me to do. This is in line with the vision of Epic Church. To orient our entire lives around Jesus. Or, or, or more precisely, it, the vision of Epic Church is in line with the scriptures and what the psalmist is, what the psalmist is expressing. Think about it like this, as a church, the Bible is so central to our identity as a church that we have taught from it every single week for the past four and a, four and a half years of our existence. It's so central to who we are that we believe that it's so important that we teach from it every single Sunday when we gather together. But not only is it a book that we believe is important for us on Sunday, but it's a book that's important for us on Monday and Tuesday and every single day of our week. It is to be central, the central part of our lives. The word of God. So we've heard about the secret of the word and the centrality of the word. Lastly, the psalmist recognizes the power of the word. In verses 9 and 11, the psalmist shares how when God and his word become central in our lives, it has an impact on who we are. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The psalmist phrases it as a question. How can a young man stay pure? That's a good question. How can a young man stay pure? His answer? For that young man to know and keep the word of God. Interesting. And then in verse 11, it's as if the psalmist is personally answering the question of how he himself avoids sin. He states... I have stored up your word in my heart. I have stored it there that I might not sin against you. At face value, it all seems too easy. Again, it appears that the psalmist is just being a little bit over the top. And, and he's not being sensitive to our real struggles with sin. He's just saying, oh, if you keep the word of God and you know it, You won't sin. 
He seems too dismissive. And the, the reality of our day and age is that Christians catch a bad rap because they have a repu- reputation to be people of beliefs, but yet their lives don't align with those beliefs. So we're criticized for that. But I believe it's a fair judgment. I believe it's a fair judgment because not only are we called to have beliefs, but the scriptures also calls us to have a transformed life that lines up with God's word. So it's beliefs and a life according to God's ways. The two can't be divorced from one another. But one of the things that we learn early on is that beliefs don't produce life change. They just don't. Especially when those beliefs don't go very deep. Believing that God exists is not something spectacular. It isn't. James, in his letter, he writes that even the demons believe that God exists and they shudder at the thought. But yet, they're completely and wholly opposed to God's ways. Sorry that this is heavy. I, I, I really do. But I, man, I, I believe this is the heart of this psalm to shake us out of indifference into a passionate pursuit of what God has for us, which is found through his word. So how do we become a people that trust in God and live according to his word? Through wisdom. Through wisdom. Psalm 119 is a wisdom psalm, right? And wisdom psalms and books like it, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, are classified as such because they teach us how to trust in God and live accordingly. These books teach us how to trust in God and live according to God's ways. But another thing that they do, which is very interesting to me, is they tell us that the way to get wisdom is through adherence to the entire Bible. Through adherence to the entire Bible. And that word adherence simply means to stick to or to be faithful to something. To stick to or to be faithful to something. So this is the pattern we see. If you want to live according to God's ways, then you need to get wisdom. And if you want to get wisdom, then you need to adhere or be faithful to the word of God. And guess what? When you adhere and are faithful to the word of God, then your life is transformed and changed into the image, into the life that God has for you. If you want to live according to God's ways, get wisdom. To get wisdom, adhere, be faithful to the word of God. And if you're faithful to the word of God, you will live according to God's ways. And on and on it goes. So when we understand the secret of the word, the mystery that is revealed, which is Jesus, that leads us to place the word in an important place in our lives as a priority at the center of our lives. And when we do that, the word has a transformative effect. It really does. But what does all of this practically look like, right? I just gave you the 30,000 foot view of this ideal that we see in the scriptures. But what does it look like on the ground level? What does it look like for you or for me? I don't know what it looks like for you. I, I really don't. I could give you a lot of suggestions and I'm gonna share in a little bit what it looks like for me and, and hopefully those suggestions are helpful. But I, I don't know what it looks like for you. And, and, and you see the, 
the goal of this message and the goal of the psalmist is not to give us a prescription on what we need to do every day regarding the word of God. Meaning, like, how much do I need, right, to be fulfilling the requirements or the expectations of the word? That's not the goal. It's not telling us that we need to read or study or meditate or any of these things. That's not the, 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 the goal of the psalmist is to inspire the heart. It's to inspire the heart. He wants to motivate us to have an attitude change towards the scriptures. He wants us to fall in love with it and make it the center just like he has. That's the goal. So let me briefly share with you how I try to put this into practice. And again, this is not me trying to be boastful or anything. This is the, goal, the idea is not for us to do a bunch of stuff just to do it. But again, I think the most important thing is how we do it, our heart, our disposition. Do we, are we doing it in humility? Are we doing it in reverence? So some of the, a few things that I do. First, for starters, wake up in the morning, grab my phone, and I open the YouVersion Bible app, and I have a, a, basically a plan that I go through. And that plan it gives me about four or five chapters and a little devotional that I read every morning. I do this still laying in bed and, and before the kids run into the room at seven in the morning. Um, and it's just, I, and what I'm trying to do during that time is just take one point that I can, that I can grasp or hold on to that I can think through throughout my day. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing that, that I try to do is, and I've been doing this only for the past year or so, is I try to memorize scriptures. And the reason I got into this habit is because I, I heard a message and the, the preacher was talking about, hey, I, I want you to stand if, um, if you can memorize or recite one passage for every year that you've been a Christian. And out of a large room, only a small percentage were able to stand. And it's very, very telling of our time, of our, uh, unfortunately, of our Bible literacy. And, 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 and I've, I, at that point, I had been a Christian about 12 years. And even because I studied the word, I, I could have probably strung together 12 verses, but not with full confidence. Seriously, not with full confidence, and I would have struggled probably to identify the, the chapter and the verse. And that was convicting to me, very convicting. And, and, and it made me realize that the Word of God wasn't taking a center place in my life. So I started just trying to memorize one or two, uh, trying to memorize a passage every week or two. And I've been doing that for the past six months, and, and, and it's reaped great results. And the other two things which are typically not associated with the Word of God is, is worship and prayer. But that last song that the band played, right, the, the, the creed, so much of our worship is tied to our theology and the truths of the Bible. And as we sing them to God, we are declaring the truths of the Scriptures. I'm a terrible singer, so you will never see me up here on stage. But I'll belt it out at home, and, and I'll lightly mumble, you know, whisper a song throughout the day anywhere else. But through worship, I'm constantly communicating and, and declaring the truths of the scripture. And the last thing, prayer. If I, if I see an area in my life, my family's life, um, that our church, and, and I just want to see God move in a specific way, I, I'll find a scripture and I'll begin to pray that scripture over myself, my family, and the church. And those are just four ways that I, I've, in the past couple of months, as God has been just tugging at me, making God my all, making him the center. These are things that, these are practices that I've kind of incorporated just to be able to truly live this out. What it looks like for you might be completely different. 
your, your journey, where you are in your, in your spiritual walk or your faith journey will determine what's your next step, how you need to proceed. But the psalmist, the psalmist is, is really challenging us to, to place the word of God in a, in a very crucial and important place in our lives at the center of it all. You may say that since I'm a pastor, right, and, and work at the church, that it's expected of me to do those things, um, to have those practices. But one thing to keep in mind is that the expectations that we find in the Bible, for the most part, that are for the church and then for church leadership, they don't differ. I, I don't, I'm not trying, I'm not striving to make God the center. I'm not doing these practices because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, because I'm a follower of Jesus. This book, this book is, is a gift to us. It's a gift that God has given us. It's not a punishment, and it's not boring, and it won't make you simple-minded. Are you busy? Yes, I know you are. I'm busy too. We're all busy, and I could have spent 20 minutes just discussing how busy we are and we need to set things aside to focus on this word. But I don't think, no matter how busy we are, that we can afford to neglect God's word if we truly desire to orient our entire lives around Jesus and to live the life that he has made available to us. We can't afford to do it. So in just a moment, we're, gonna, we're going to celebrate communion. The band will come up and they're going to lead us in worship during this time and I believe communion is an appropriate way for us to respond to this message. The word that was made text became the word that was made flesh and was sacrificed for us. Christ's blood was poured out and his body was broken so that we might be reconciled to God. So as we take the bread and we dip it into the juice, let's be reminded of how his word, not just food, but his word is to be our regular nourishment and sustenance what feeds us. We're going to have two stations, one in the back and one up here in the front. And as the band plays, you can make your way along the back wall or the sidewall. But let's respond with a heart of gratitude for his word. And let's ask God to help us make it the center of our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for your truth, God. We thank you for who you are, That through your word, the secret, that Jesus is the word. And the word, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. That word became flesh. God, we're grateful for that. And I pray that through what you communicate, that we will make it a priority in our lives. That you will help us. That you will encourage us. Strengthen us to be able to do that. And that we will see the transformative effect of your word producing life change in us. From this day forward, God, help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's respond.